Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, good morning, which is not something that we usually say to each other when we record. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we don't normally, we've, we've recorded early a couple times recently, but we, we don't typically do that. It's been, it's been a little interesting. Yeah, I kind of like it, but yeah. I mean, like normally doesn't really fit the schedule, but yeah. it is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, Change of pace. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, uh, I don't know. It feels like it's a weird time. We're doing a lot of recording this weekend, more than we typically do. <laughs> yeah, we um, do which is also a nice change of pace. <laughs> um, I like it at least to kind of feel like we've got a lot of good stuff going on. And by now uh, you would have heard or at least had the opportunity to hear our very exciting interview with the guys from Parasia, um, which if you haven't, you should, not because of us, because of them. <laughs> They're really cool and we really appreciate them coming on and getting to hear a little bit more about their upcoming 1689 confession project um it's just you know for you this was a week ago where you already listened and digested this wonderful interview but for me it was just like 24 hours ago so i'm like (laughs) still pretty jazzed (laughs) yeah same um yeah so in the very long time since we've seen each other jensen has anything been going on no i mean yesterday it was actually really (laughs) nice like i woke up a lot earlier than i normally would on a saturday and it was because of our carbon monoxide detector going off. Not because it was sensing carbon monoxide, but the low battery indicator was chiming. So I had to like get up, and we didn't have any batteries to replace it. So I had to run to the convenience store and get some. And I was just like too awake to go back to sleep. And then you know we had the interview. Uh, my parents came over for lunch in the afternoon, and then like we spent the afternoon. Um, uh, like Hannah took a nap, and I edited the episode. And like, all that I'm trying to say is like, normally our weekends seem to fly by, like the days go far too quickly. Uh, But yesterday seemed to just drag on and on and on. And it was so nice. I I like when we have a weekend that, you know, isn't gone in a flash. That's awesome. Yeah, mine's a little more flashy. Um, (laughs) It lands out of town this weekend, but I am just cranking out a ton of writing for the end of the semester there you go i've only got one more week of class and then after that after thanksgiving we got some finals and pay-per-view or whatever but that's crazy i uh yeah on on friday i wrote friday evening so i worked all day friday friday evening i wrote a 1500 word little book reflection paper and then yesterday i wrote like 2100 words of another paper i've got to do and i have to crank that out this afternoon or else i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna fall behind my schedule <laughs> so Crazy. uh just a lot of a lot of working uh at this table on the computer which is nice to feel like i'm getting stuff done i've got i haven't i don't think i've shown you this but i have so many books that i'm referencing for this paper or like just have here in case i need to reference and it's just like a mess but you know it'll be over soon it'll be over soon and then i get a nice break for for uh in between semesters and uh you know things are cruising along but 
a little bit different, like we're saying. So today, in this different time that we're recording, we're um, going to be talking about something that I, I feel like this is something that has maybe has come up here or there, um, or at least might not be overly, you know, our answers to this question might not be overly surprising if you've spent a lot of time with us in these conversations as we've had uh, different topics and d- discussions over the last few months in this um, little podcast. But we wanted to take some time to kind of give our thoughts, give some answers maybe to the question of, I don't know exactly how we're going to word it, but like things that we wish we had learned or been taught while we were, you know, maybe in youth group, while we were growing up uh, in church context or uh, religious context um, that maybe we didn't learn or maybe we didn't have the opportunity to learn because of uh, the tradition we were in or just the things that our leaders and disciplers decided to teach us, Um, which this isn't meant to be a slam against our upbringings as so much as just looking back and reflecting on things that we maybe value now or have learned that uh, we wish could have been handed over to us earlier in our careers, <laughs> earlier right. in our lives. Um, and well, like I said, these kind of more like thoughts right. that we've had yeah. um, and uh, kind of just a, a reflection on that that question or, or that that, you know, train of thought. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully the goal is not just informational, but like maybe you are a parent with young kids or maybe you are a youth pastor or maybe you're like us and you don't have kids yet, but you will someday. Uh, you know, maybe this will be a good episode to, to keep in the back of your mind as you think about what it looks like to, to raise kids, to, to have a family. And yeah, you know, like you said, this isn't a knock against our own upbringing. If anything, it's a knock against our traditions because our traditions didn't do a very good job of, of training our parents or our grandparents or whoever might have been, you know, raising us. And, and, you know, that's not to say that I didn't learn anything. There are many things that I am eternally grateful for things that I, um, you know, I'm glad that I was taught, but these are, yeah, these are things that I wish had been maybe more solidified. And we we've talked about these three things before, and they sort of like fall under other terms too. Um, the the ones that we're going to use in this episode are theology, liturgy, biography, and those three words are sort of like the overarching umbrella to everything that we're going to say. Because at least I, and I think Lucas would agree, think that um, a, a good portion, if not all, of the Christian life can be summed up under those three words. Maybe you've heard head, heart, hands. I'm going to let Lucas say the one with the O's. Um, orthodoxy. Uh, yeah, I love saying this. One. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthopraxy. Right. And um, those are just like which means the same thing. Right. And and maybe depending on which set of words you use, there might be different nuance in what you mean. Um, the reason I use theology, liturgy, and biography, uh, you know, as opposed to head, heart, hands, is because I think it better explains what I'm trying to get at. Because mm. um, head, heart, hands, yeah. like has, you know, it's the simpler way. It's maybe like the the elementary way to explain what I mean. Uh, but I have, at least, I I think a more robust understanding when I say theology, liturgy, biography. So let's let's yeah. sort of jump in and get doing it. Yeah, so if, if we're starting with sort of the, the 
you know, you can kind of picture these as like not more or less important than each other, but these categories are sort of descending in order where, you know, we start at the top with the head, the theology, the orthodoxy. So, you know, the word orthodoxy basically means right worship, right belief um, is how it's used. So, you know, proper understanding and believing and affirming what is true. Um, so if we're going to start with this category of, of theology, um, you know, I was blessed to grow up in a particular church that this might not be true of all Southern Baptist churches, um, especially with their youth, but I was extremely blessed and am grateful to have grown up in a church and with leaders where they took theological teaching uh, very seriously, even for the youth. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on air, um, but for all of high school or, or most of high school, my Sunday school curriculum, which was the just we only had one Sunday school class for youth, was literally just going chapter by chapter through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, which looking back, I have like new things to say about Wayne Grudem's systematic theology as a systematic theology. But I'm so glad I, I, I can't like it, it. It Every time I think about it, it like shocks me that like in 10th grade, I was literally being brought through a systematic theology textbook. Yeah, that's pretty you crazy. Know what I mean, just, you know, just, you know, it's not like we sat around in a circle and just read it. It was like taught to us at a level we could understand, but in terms of the concept. So all that to say, like theology was not like a, a bad word in, in my own upbringing. Um, but within that category, I think that, Jens, you have like a really helpful sort of, I don't know if you want to say doctrine or, or point of emphasis or just like, you know, I don't. I don't know the best way to put it. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, th- theology matters. What we what we know to be true about our God is is important. It's significant. It it informs, as you said, that that descending tier. Because what we know, what we the things that we think about, do inform the things that we love, the way that we behave, the way that we act in the world. Um, and so, having a right knowledge about who God is, and of course. Of course, we're we're human, so we're 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 limited by our finitude and our our inability to c- comprehend the infinite. Um, but to the best of our ability, uh, you know, and that's individually speaking, because I recognize that different people have different cognitive abilities. But to the best of our cognitive ability, uh, we should seek to know the Lord. I mean, we're commanded to know the Lord to to seek Him while we can find Him, and. Um, you know, I think the thing that I wish that I that I, I knew, and th- this is a little difficult to define. I don't really have like an easy way to say this, so I'm just going to read Ephesians three. Uh, I was dwelling on this passage quite a bit this week, and um, it says, starting in verse fourteen, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He might grant you, according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the length and width height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, I think that's a pretty profound you know, four or five verses there to, to, to hear Paul, uh, writing to these people 
uh, in Ephesus that he loves. And he's saying like, you know, I, I kneel before the father in heaven uh, that he might grant you, you know, the, the riches of his grace to be, to be strengthened in power uh, in your inner spirit that Christ may dwell uh, in your hearts through faith. And I, I just, I, I wish growing up that I had a, a deeper, more tangible, robust understanding of God's love. Um, I think, I think sometimes the way that modern churches talk about God's love is a little nebulous. It's just kind of like an abstract, almost like a human love, like a love that can come and go uh, based on feelings and emotions. Um, or maybe just like, God is love, like you know, it's a refrain that we hear often. Um, but this specifically here in, in verse verse 17 and 18, where, where Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. So he's saying, first of all, he Paul prays for people to be rooted and firmly established in love with one another. He says that, you know, I pray that you may be able to comprehend, so to understand cog- cognitively and with our hearts too, to comprehend with all the saints. So, you know, we had that episode on Catholicity. This is all of God's church throughout time and space. What is the length and width and height and depth of God's love? So there's this like fourfold aspect to God's love. You know, in, instead of like, this is this is God's love in 4D. Maybe we could we could say in like a, a cheesy way, um, because yeah. this this is length, width, height, and depth. Um, so there's something to God's love and Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So in a, again, in a mm-hmm. sense, the things that we can cognitively know and understand, Christ's love, God's love for us surpasses anything that we could ever truly understand. Um, mm-hmm. And that last part to be filled with all the fullness of God. I just, I, I just wish that what this passage is, is saying would have been something that I would have been able to, to understand and, and, and comprehend as a kid to um, you know, maybe this was something I was taught and just didn't understand it because I was young or something. But um, to to truly begin to grasp how much God loves us, to think about the things that yeah. He has done for us, like it changes the way that you're going to live in this world. And sometimes it seems like, you know, we, we we bring this up often, but it's just the world that we find ourselves in. But with with you know political elections, with um, pandemics going on with with all that's happened in 2020 uh I, I think it's fair to say that we're not always rooted and firmly established in love for one another and thus we're also yeah. not comprehending the fourfold aspects of of god's love for us and for his people and so i just i i, I this is something that for me personally i felt really convicted this week that like i want to be able to to live this out to embody this to to mm. comprehend with all the saints with my brothers and sisters in the lord truly how much our lord loves us and so that's that's something that i put on this list today yeah i think it's just like you know how do you even begin to communicate how much god loves us to anybody, you know, to yourself, to, you know, I, I, this is something that has been on my mind, you know, kind of not having any conversations with you or, you know, not even related to Ephesians three, but just like that understanding of being loved by God or what that means to, you know, to what degree and what, what, like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but to, you know, to imagine a world where, you know, as high schoolers, we're beginning to comprehend that height and breadth and length and width. Um, 
And it's a lifelong and, journey. And what, it's something that you're going to do for your oh, whole life. Yeah. You never arrive. Yeah. And just to to begin on that journey so young, even younger than that, but I just, you know, I'm just thinking in terms of like teaching a youth group, you know, and like going through that passage with a youth group and just like to to imagine being being so young, I think back to, you know, like when I was at camps and stuff or you know, memorable sermons from youth um, youth group on Wednesday night or whatever, like just to, to begin to be changed in that way by coming face to face with, with the love of God for me and for, for those around me, for the world. Like it's hard to even imagine what it would be like to comprehend that, let alone imagine actually comprehending it. Um, but yeah, I know I, I think that's like a really good place to start. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, you know, kind of like moving on to, you know, we got theology, liturgy, biography, kind of moving on to that second category of liturgy. Um, the thing that I kind of wish I had been taught was liturgy, like itself. Um, growing up not in a liturgical tradition, which I, I now, you know, looking back, I kind of, you know, well, not kind of, like I wish I was brought up in my liturgical tradition that I find myself in today. But even more so than, than, than that, just to... I had no sense or exposure to what liturgy was. It, like, I, I couldn't even, if you'd used that word, I wouldn't have been able to even understand it, let alone, like, get how it affects me or, or you know, what it has to offer. Um, so whether that would be, you know, visiting churches in different traditions, whether that would be, like, being taught about liturgy, even if it's not something that we necessarily, like, use to structure services around, or just you know, even though maybe not being in a, you know, structurally liturgical tradition, using elements of the liturgy consciously, you know, whatever it might have been or whatever it could look like, um, the reason that I think it would be so important not is, is not just the appreciation that I've come to have for, you know, specifically in my case, the Anglican liturgy itself in all of its, you know, fullness and formal structures, but the value of having something that guides you and gives a structure to not just your worship services, but your whole life. Um, again, you know, coming from the the standpoint of an Anglican to, to follow the liturgy thoroughly all the way through of the book of common prayer is literally to structure my, my every single day around prayer and worship. It, it shapes my schedule. You know, I've got daily morning prayer. I've got even noonday prayer, evening prayer, Compline at night. Um, I've got the 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 liturgical calendar of the different seasons where we're coming, you know, we're coming up on Advent where we commemorate, you know, we set aside this time of the year to commemorate the first coming of Christ. We set aside this time of the year to commemorate um, uh, the 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 pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. You know, like those sorts of things. But just to be to be shaped by the life of the church as opposed to being shaped by just, you know, my mundane life of school, of the video games I I was playing and the movies I was watching, of spending time with friends. All of those things are, are, you know, fine. I'm not saying we should stop going to school (laughs) because it's it's not a church schedule or whatever. But what I am saying is, and, and, you know, Unfortunately, you know, it's been on my list for a few years. I haven't read James K. A. Smith's books, either the the longer ones or the shorter ones, ab- about this. You know, you are what you love, kind of thing. But 
whether we want to apply the term liturgy to certain things that I know some people have different opinions on that. That's not really important to me, but the awareness of, of the fact, you know, the fact, the reality that we are shaped by what we do and the environment that we're in, whether we want to be or not, I think is so important. And it's where having a liturgical element of your life where what I mean by that in this case is you're being shaped and formed by the structures of God's people and his word and worship and prayer, as opposed to just kind of floating around most of the days. And maybe you have a quiet time in the morning or the night, but it's kind of, you know, loosely structured. Maybe you're following a devotion uh, or, you know, go to church on Sundays and that's kind of the extent of it as opposed to a more, you know, all encompassing kind of structure, which I'm not saying like right now, everybody to be a good Christian, you need to drop everything and convert to a liturgical tradition. I'm just saying the value of having all of life subordinated to the worship of God as his people, you know, as all the saints comprehending his love, um, to be shaped by that is something that I, I, I feel like now I've come to a place where for myself, I can't even, I, I can't overstate the impact that I see it having in me to be enveloped by this, you know, tradition to whatever extent I, I, I do that of the structure of, of the church's tradition that shapes my heart by pointing me to God in prayer and worship and the reading and hearing of his word. Um, and just that idea of like shaping, I think, is really where I want to come down. That that I wish it was passed on to me, um, in, in some way, just some awareness of the way that my soul is is affected and molded by what's around me, even when I'm not aware of it, and therefore the importance of putting my soul in a place where what is around it is God's word and, and His love, as we just talked about with Ephesians three, um, and I think that that would be just revolutionary to me looking back if my high school self had had some some kind of awareness of this and some you know desire to shape my soul with with the things of god as opposed to the things of man um so yeah that's kind of what i would say is is what what i'd want to put in this category something i'd want to have been taught is just the the concept of liturgy and the and the impact it has on us in general yeah um that's good and, you know, there's there's a lot of overlap between these, a lot of overlap between, you know, going from theology to liturgy to, to biography. And that's because it's it's the whole of the Christian life. And so, you know, as, as but as we still descend from theology to liturgy to biography, from head to heart to hands, uh, the way that we live in this world matters. It's important, right? You know, you think about political elections, you know, what we, you know, from a Christian standpoint, from a theological perspective, how you think about an election is informed by what you know and by what you love, um, or how you think about um, your neighbors next door, how you interact with people at the grocery store. Like even these seemingly mundane, insignificant things are informed by what we know and by what we love. Even if we're not Christians, the things that you do are informed by what you know and by what you love. Um, and so for me, under this category of, of biography, one of the things that I wish I would have known 
growing up, uh, you know, in, in youth group, uh, in church life was the, the history of my faith, I guess. I, that's the, maybe the easiest way to put this. And, you know, we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again at some point, but I, I remember going to Moody and I, you know, I didn't have much theological training prior to, to going to Moody. And so it just seemed like every day there was something that was new, something that was like a new revelation. Not that like it was, you know, coming from some prophet or something, but I was, I was being exposed to things like I've never heard this before. I've never thought this way before. Um, and I've, I've often kind of wondered, why is that? Why is that sort of a, a common occurrence for, for church kids to go to a Bible college and to be exposed to theological thinking and to always think, I've never thought this way before. And I know that's a generalization. There are some churches, there are some some students who are really well-informed and knowledgeable when they come to school. But I, I think a majority are in the way that I just described. And I think a big, a big problem is that they have ne- never t- taken the time to study their faith, whether it was taught to them or whether they studied on their own. And, you know, this, this, you know, retrieval for renewal comes up here, uh, studying early church fathers, thinking about pre-Reformation and even post-Reformation stuff. Uh, this is why we did Christians of History to learn more about uh, believers from the past and and what they did, what they said, what they wrote to help inform how we live in our context. Uh, and so I I'm I'm of the opinion that if if we were more educated in our history, if we if we recovered the things of our past we would have a better future and it would help us in the present be better Christians, more faithful Christians. Uh, I don't know. There, there's something about being historically rooted to, to have a sense of identity. We, 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 one time we used imagery of, uh, of a flowing stream. You know, why would we, why would we try to dig a new little path in this stream when it's already been flowing for 2000 years? Like let's, let's go with the current that's already going. Um, or, you know, we've said before too, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us. And that's something that I think about often is how the faith that I have, I'm standing on the shoulders of, of my parents, of my grandparents, their parents, their parents, their parents. And that's just like it within my family, uh, but even broader as Christians, you know, we stand on the shoulders of the traditions that have come before us. Uh, so, Maybe you belong to a Baptist tradition. Maybe you belong to a Methodist tradition. Wherever you find yourself, you stand on the shoulders of those who have come before you. And it's important to study, to know, and to let that inform how you live in the present. So learn from their mistakes. Don't do the things that they did, but seek to emulate the things that they did well. And, you know, I think there's something to be said. I know, Lucas, you sort of like give me a hard time for... uh, reading and, and liking the Puritans from time to time. Like you'll, you'll give me some jabs, but uh, there, there is something to be said for that period in, in Christian history. Like the Puritans had a lot of uh, very good practices and devotions that helped them in their daily lives to, to live and to, to, to live and move and breathe um, where they were. And I think we would do well yeah. to recover that. Yeah. And it's kind of just like, this is a total sidebar, unplanned, unscripted, you know, just, that the Puritans are even a really good example of how to draw very widely um, from the tradition. Not just to draw from the tra- from the tradition or your tradition, but also to to practice charitably and critically drawing widely. Um, you know, they existed 
to repudiate the Church of England. So clearly I'm going to have some major like <laughs> church governance and, you know, polity and, you know, it, those sorts of issues with the Puritans and even getting into the more like nitty gritty of like their actual theology. There's, you know, any pick up any book, you're going to agree with some parts and disagree with other parts. But, you know, just off the top of my head, just like regardless of what you think about, you know, betraying your your king and country i'm kidding um like to to look at the puritans and not see you know and i'm not even someone who's who's very well read you know either reading actual puritans or even just reading about them but even my limited knowledge it's like how you like to not be just struck by their devotion and their desire to know god and to um to be fully devoted to him it's like how can how could any christian not benefit from that attitude toward god you know what i mean and um and and sure you know they're they're not the only ones who have a radical devotion to god but that's not my point my point is like like you're saying there's this there's this huge tradition and we can we can be baptists who learn from you know coptic believers and we can be anglicans who learn from um Pentecostals and and we can do that and this goes to our wider motif of unity amongst diversity because there is so much unity amongst the diversity so you know that was a sidebar but I just I don't know I think it's it, it is it is fun but it also is a lot of fun to make fun of Puritans too and you know lots of people make fun of me I'm sure too yeah, so and to, it's all good to, again to be fair things that are good things that are bad you can avoid the bad things you can repudiate them you can say you know, this, this was the bad and still like the good, you know, the fact that there were right. Puritans who maybe owned slaves, that's not something that we're proud about. That's not a part of the Puritan past that I like condone. Um, and I think, you know, there are times to, to throw things out, t- times to keep other things. And, it, you know, I think it's not fair to always just, I don't know, now I'm just rambling, but to, to just bash on somebody just because we were not in that stream. So, and that's something that I've been guilty of to, to sort of turn my, my nose at, theological traditions that i wasn't a part of and so that's something that i've been trying to do mm-hmm. is to be more yeah. charitable with other theological traditions is what i'm trying to say even yeah. though it sounded awful <laughs> no no that's that's a really good word um and i kind of like the way we stumbled into this like talking about the the biography the hands part um you know there's i'm gonna get real patristic exegesis here and go allegorical so you know humans have two hands and and in this same way there's sort of like two senses in which we can talk about biography um i think like what you just shared covered a really good sort of like the the biography of the church you know all the saints together all of our traditions and our brothers and sisters who come long before us and immediately before us and who are here with us um that biography that story um, to to be situated in and to learn from and draw from in that sense is, is sort of like maybe one hand that we have in the Christian life. And then maybe the other hand, the other sense in which we can talk about biography is like our own life, our own individual biography, the way that we live, the, the way that we live our life day to day, the way that we live with our actions, our thoughts, our, our affections, all of that. Um, and for me, the way that I kind of want to, you know, this is sort of the, 
the the sense in which I I want to approach this other thing I had that I kind of wish I had maybe gotten a little bit more emphasis on is that good works matter. Um, I was, you know, by by the grace of God, I was I was taught uh, sola fide, sola gratia. Even if I wouldn't have had those those terms, I was taught that salvation is by faith alone, or was I can't believe I'm forgetting this <laughs> by grace through faith. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't taught that well. <laughs> um, and, and that's the gospel. I'm not at all questioning that at the same time. And, oh, and I was given opportunities and, and encouraged to kill sin, um, to be sanctified, to, to pursue holiness, um, and, and good works, you know, going on missions trips and, um, you know, we, we had a whole purity conference, which might be a can of worms for some people. It, it wasn't, as bad as it sounds, <laughs> um, at, for a for a Baptist purity conference, it wasn't so bad. But um, it wasn't even a conference; it was just us in a church member's cabin um, discussing issues of purity. But like, that's a good example. Is like, you know, purity is a good thing. You know, in our in our sexuality, uh, serving the poor is a good thing. You know, like these are. And the thing is that salvation is by faith, but faith without works is dead. So you cannot be saved by faith if you have no good works. Um, that's not because the good works uh, uh, earn our salvation, but we are commanded to obey Christ and his law. We are commanded to care for the widow and the orphan. Um, and you, you can't get around the necessity of obedience to and fulfillment of um, the law of Christ, which is a law of liberty, James calls it but it is a real thing you know our faith is is you know it's historical like we've been talking about it's tangible it's real it's earthy it's not merely intellectual assent to certain you know true or not true propositions um it's it's it shapes us like we were talking about before and that means that it's lived out tangibly in real life um, and, and just to kind of, to be more intentional on the proper place of good works, which is not anywhere near our worth before God, but it is very much in our day-to-day life and how we care for our communities and those around us and how we love the world the way that God loved the world. Um, and I think that that's just an unfortunate reality of, of humanity is, is things go wrong, so we react against it and in reaction, sometimes we go too far. Um, and at times, in, in my experience of, of my own, you know, Christianity that I was brought up in, um, there's the danger of potentially neglecting good works for the sake of emphasizing the grace of salvation. And in reality, neither one needs to be or should be neglected or de-emphasized um, because they're not actually in opposition to each other and they're really the same thing. Um, so I think that that just sort of this this emphasis on, on the importance and the value in their proper place of good works would have been, um, would have been, I don't know, helpful, valuable, I, I think, for me. Agreed. Yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. And personally, too, I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with is that that tension between works and grace and how they 
correlate. I mean, I remember having conversations with people. I, I specifically remember actually even me and Hannah one day, we were walking back from church in Chicago after hearing a sermon about, about James and just like, what is the relationship between faith and works? And, and so that, that's a, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up here with uh, a reading of the Psalms, uh, specifically Psalm 30. This is a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And starting in verse one, it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and restored to me life from among those who have gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made me, or you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I, I plea for mercy. Uh, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned me, or you have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Before we go. <laughs> What are you reading? Yeah, I did not forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, not me, never me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, let's see. What am I reading? Um, so every month, every month I get um, Table Talk Magazine. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it. Actually, I think we get the emails to Doxology because like apparently I already had an account. But uh, anyway, never mind. <laughs> like I get, I get Table Talk Magazine. It's a, it's a publication from, from Ligonier Ministries, which was founded by R.C. Sproul. And it's, you know, every month there's a different publication. And the one that I've been reading, it's an older one. I'm trying to remember when it's from. I don't even remember. Um, January 2020. Uh, there was a period where I wasn't. Uh, keep BC. It, right. <laughs> uh, it was before COVID. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, it, this one. So every, every edition i guess has like a theme so this one is finding the will of god um mm. and so there's you know within within this there's just little articles so the first half is always um like five or six so like the struggle to find god's will defining the will of god defining the call of god examples of calling in scripture discerning and stewarding god's call for my life so there's like mm. little brief you know a couple page little articles and then in the middle of the um little periodical or whatever you want to call it. There's actually like daily devotionals and they've been making their way through, I think the new Testament for the last several years, because uh, at, in this publication, they're going through first Thessalonians. Um, so it's, it's a little hard to do. I don't, I haven't read all of them because it's supposed to be like, it comes out in January and the devotional is for February, like by each day. So wow. February um, 16th, you know, was on first Thessalonians two. Um, so like it's it's a little weird to follow that like time frame or whatever, um, and then it always ends with little um, 
I don't know, like other little articles too that don't necessarily pertain to the topic. Um, sometimes they do. Like this one was called Examining Our Motives, uh, Leaving a Church Peaceably When My Parents Aren't Christians. Oh, wow. um, so mm-hmm. like, I don't know, there's there's not really like anything specific that I've been re- reading. You know, I mean, there, there are books that I've mentioned, but I, I, I just didn't want to rehash the same the same information that, you know, I've already shared. But um, reading these table talks is always, you know, really encouraging. And it's it's kind of nice because they are so short. Like you can read them just, you know, on the toilet or, you know, as you're just <laughs> hanging out in the morning or, you know, wherever you right. find yourself having these little blips of, of time. And for me anyway, I've found it really helpful and beneficial, uh, you know, talking about theology liturgy and biography is um you know sometimes in those moments where i would rather go to my phone and scroll through instagram or or twitter or something uh, when i have Mm. those couple of minutes to when i have a table talk handy to like just read through a a brief article or to to read the devotional piece i don't know it's just kind of a a nice way to to reorient a an otherwise maybe mundane situation right that's really good i have been reading, I believe, if my memory serves me, which I would be surprised, this was, I think you mentioned this in one of our first What Are You Reading segments. I might be wrong, though. I might be But I have been reading sort of uh, Augustine's Confessions. I have finally gotten to that point in the semester where that's what we're reading. You mean Augustine, I, but I'll let you, I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... I'm not able currently to read it quite as thoroughly or maybe read all of it as I would want to, <laughs> um, especially since it's for class. But I did read the first three books of the Confessions in their entirety. And um, this is my first time reading the, the Confessions. Like I've, heard, I've, I've uh, certainly heard quotes um, and sort of heard you know the overall trajectory of the confessions but i've never actually um sat down and read them read it before so um it's really cool you know we the last like month or so we've we've been reading a few different things from augustine and it's it's uh it's refresh it's a refreshing read coming from his more didactic works um i find him a very difficult person to read just stylistically i mean which I don't know how much of that is his fault and how much of it is translation uh, style, but I, I have no idea. But anyway, so I've been reading the Confessions, and I've um, I, I hopefully over the break um, I want to maybe take some time to kind of like revisit what I had to skip over or rush through because of just the craziness of of the end of the semester um, when I have a little more time because um, it really is you know it my expectations were set very high just because of how people talk about the Confessions. <laughs> um, but it, it is it is a very rewarding read. Um, I think it's very well worth the time, especially I'm reading like an older translation um, because that's what I had in my Logos, logos.com slash doxology podcast. And it's great. Uh, and it is, it is, you know, kind of nice to read like a more, you know, there's lots of these and thous and that kind of thing. But um, especially like in a more modern translation, I think it would be quite a edifying devotional read. I just I because you brought it up I I've I've come back to this little section time and time again so I just I want to read it real quick because it's so good it's it's in book one I think you'd call it chapter four I guess um, he says what then is the God I worship he can be none but the Lord God himself 
For who but the Lord is God? What other refuge can there be except our God? You, my God, are supreme, utmost in goodness, mightiest and all-powerful, most merciful and most just. You are the most hidden from us and yet the most present amongst us, the most beautiful and yet the most strong, ever enduring and yet we cannot comprehend you. You are unchangeable and yet you change all things. You are never new, never old, and yet all things have new life from you. You are the unseen power that brings decline upon the proud. You are ever active, yet always at rest. And it could go on and on and on, but like, yeah, like just the devotional, just like you said, just the, I don't know, I've, I've benefited greatly from reading Augustine and his confessions, just the, mm. the devotional nature, but his, his, his love and fervor for the, the Lord and his, I mean, it's, it's confessions. He's confessing a lot of his sin. He's wrestling with a lot of the things that he's gone through in life um, and, and seeking to live that theology, liturgy, biography, even if he wouldn't use those words. But anyway, that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and episode ideas. We're always taking submissions. We really, really appreciate it. And we also want to talk about what you want to hear. If you're going to spend time with us, might as well be talking about stuff that's interesting to you. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter um, if you'd like weekly non-spammy uh, updates. Um, and uh, until next time, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Later. Later.